Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm Chad Norman, Internet Marketing Manager here at BlackBot and your host for this nonprofit technology podcast. This is episode 27 for June 2nd, 2009. Well, summer is here, maybe not according to the calendar, but it's definitely here. And I know this because there are suddenly scads of college kids wandering my streets in my neighborhood aimlessly with their heads buried in their mobiles. And so with all these idle millennials glued to the web, I thought it would be a good time to talk about Facebook and how nonprofits can use the social network to further their cause. So before we get into the good Facebook stuff today, let's meet the panel. Joining me from an undisclosed location on the fourth floor of BlackBot HQ is Steve McLaughlin. Welcome, Steve. Hey, Chad. How are you? I'm very well. Nice to have you back. Danielle Brigida, the social media outreach coordinator at National Wildlife Federation, back once again. Hello. Hello. You had a. You you looked like you were sleeping earlier on Skype, so I thought you were avoiding us again with the, with the key was, in, key in the drawer. You know. So. Yeah, that that only happens once in a lifetime. Right. That was, that was amazing. That's Houdini esque. I like it. Joining us for the first time today is Carrie Lewis, the Internet Marketing Manager at the Humane Society of the United States. Welcome, Carrie. Hello. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, we're really glad you could join us, uh, representing cool kids across the nation. Woo! Very happy. Um, that, speaking of that, uh, David Neff uh, may be joining us later. I'm going to go ahead and throw that in here now. And then I'd also like to introduce Mr. Frank Barry, the Director of Professional Services here at BlackBod. Welcome to the show, Frank. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. And I kind of brought this panel together today because I think everybody has some good Facebook experience. I know Carrie and David both have, and Danielle both have some good Facebook experience with their organizations. And uh, Frank is one of our um, resident experts. So I think we'll have a good conversation here today and get into some good stuff that uh, nonprofits can really use. So you never know what our listening level here is on the show. I thought we would start at the beginning just about getting your organization on Facebook. There's a lot of content out there about uh, pages versus groups, and I kind of thought I'd throw that out to the panel today to kind of see what your thoughts were on, you know, if you're a nonprofit looking to get on Facebook, where do you start? Do you start with a group or a page? Page. Page. No. page. <laughs> I'm voting for page, too. Are you going to page? Page. Yeah. <laughs> I like pages, but I, I had some people um, start talking about using groups instead, and somebody's argument was about, groups being better for smaller nonprofits. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Now, now, why would that be? Let's start with the page. If we're all saying page, why should people start a page? I would say with the recent changes to pages, the need for a group is, uh, is not as vital, I think, because when initially when they had pages, you couldn't invite people or, or suggest people to be friends. But basically, now with the way pages are, you can actually suggest friends to, to become a fan you can get insights or, or kind of export the data that your page has. And, and groups, you know, where they were really important was that you could send a direct message to their Facebook inbox, which I think is nice. Yeah. But, you know, I think if you are starting fresh, you should definitely go with a page. If you have like a pre-existing group, you should actually probably survey your group members and see which one they'd prefer. No. Yeah. yeah, you can't switch over fairly seamlessly. Yeah, it is. It is pretty easy. Yeah, I think it's a good point that if you're a smaller nonprofit, maybe you should start out with a group. Um, back when we first started on Facebook, we had a group, and it was great because we could message people, and they were, you know, responding really well. And we knew that because we tagged all of our advocacy campaigns and were able to track who was responding. And it was great because you could message them. I, I forget what the limit was back then. It was like fifteen hundred, and then you could. Message right. Facebook email people, 
but moving over to page was really easy for us once we reached that limit. And, and like Danielle said, I mean, the possibilities with the page are, are much greater than with groups. I've seen people using groups for like organizing more around a specific act or, or idea or something like that. And pages are really better for like your solid home base. Right. On yeah. Facebook. You could almost yeah. use a, a group as, you know, a representation of your campaign or something and then have, you know, your fan pages. Are there still those limits on groups now with number of followers or group members? I think there is, but they've upped it. Okay. I was because yeah. everything you said, the reason that, you know, people should use groups, I was like, you know, that so it seems like everybody would want to do that stuff. You know what I mean? So right. when, when you get, so what's sort of that point when you decide you need to switch over? Like, okay, I'm getting so big. I really, th- you know what I mean? Like, uh, it, does anyone know if, if groups offer the same kind of stats as pages as well? They, I don't think they do. I don't think they do either. Yeah, I didn't think so. I just wanted to check. I mean, that's certainly a great reason to uh, stick with pages as well. What about um, search engine optimization? I mean, are, are, the, you know, are pages showing up in Google? Yes. Yeah, they are. I mean, oh, I and so we learned this the hard way. Um, we our page um, does not show up in Google or in Facebook search if you type in HSUS, which a lot of people are doing. So, and you can't change your page's name once you've published it. So, oh. a good piece of advice if you're making a page, make sure you think about search engine optimization when you're creating the page title. Oh, that's a great. Little yeah, we're having kind of similar problems because we had a we have a, a group that's for HSUS employees, and people were requesting to join that because that's the first thing they saw when they searched for HSUS. Um, that's how we knew that people were searching for it, and I it would ask people like, "How'd you find this?" And they'd be like, "Oh, I just wanted I was searching HSUS and wanted to see if you were on Facebook." So uh-huh. we're dealing with that right now. Yeah, and pages have the the friendly URL. I know that it's not available to everyone yet, but I I heard rumor about it. They're getting close to where anybody can get it. Can you explain yeah, I've got that a Google little bit? Google alert set up for uh, mm-hmm. for whenever that announcement happens. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's waiting. I want to be one of the first. Yeah. So you're talking about like facebook.com slash, you know, your org. Right. Exactly. That's cool. You can do that with your own domain as well. Like your org slash Facebook and just have that redirect. The whole naming thing brings up a good point though, which is that so many orgs struggle with, you know, what do we call this thing so that it's easily searchable? And the reality is you may, you may want to test a couple of things or at least survey some ideas because what you may think someone would logically search for, look for may not be reality. And especially when we run into, to nonprofits where there's already other Facebook groups and pages that have been created by fans and people outside the organization, that's a, that's a tricky thing that you want to look at before you sort of put the name in the box. Mm-hmm. I used to know all the like differences, and then they recently changed it so that now you know your pa- your fan page can update statuses on other people's home feeds and everything. So I'm like, I don't even know the the layout and the difference between groups and fan pages anymore. Yeah, that's that, I, yeah. Getting into that into that feed, that was that that was a huge add to pages. You know, that's when it. Right. Yeah, that was the game changer. And I think everybody. That's when I became interested in Facebook again, to be honest, because I wasn't really pushing out the fan page at all right. until they that. And you can add all the tabs across the top as well. I mean, I, can you do that on groups? Like, oh, like you can add like a Twitter tab and you know app tabs and all those kind of things as well. I don't yeah. think no, you can right. you can't yeah. do it on groups. Yeah, I mean, you basically it's getting to the point where the pages are almost like mini portals, you know, for your for your org. Yeah, um, and you can set your default tab too, which is nice. So you can yep. direct oh, good people point. to a cer- certain tab when they come in. Which I saw um, when uh, Target was doing that uh, charity drive, and they I thought this was really smart. They did Facebook ads that directed to their fan page, and the landing page was a um, 
a tab on their fan page that was just about the contest. I thought that was really smart. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I mean, another one that I saw is the One campaign. They actually do something similar to that where when you go to their facebook.com slash one, it takes you to a custom tab called Join One. It's pretty nice. It's basically a, a fully custom page and they have a nice graphic and kind of a call to action and things like that. So it's a, it's a good example of that as well. So I think we all agree, pages. If you're getting started, take a look at pages. Now, where does causes come into play with all of this? I think <laughs> a lot of people don't realize that causes is a Facebook application. Sure. It's just like, you know, all the other applications out there, but it's really powerful. And like nonprofits need to have a presence on causes because people are probably already creating causes and raising money for you if you're not on there. A lot of people are like, I don't see the benefit in causes, especially after that Washington Post article. Right. We're not nobody nobody's raising money. But that's not all that causes is about. It's about, you know, group organizing and recognition, the uh, the leaderboard that has all of that information on it. I was joking around at N10 about how we recruit our interns off of Facebook causes leaderboards, but it, that's true. Because <laughs> those are your uber activists, you know? Yeah, and, then that's a, and that's great, you know, sort of like data and a view that you couldn't get any, any way else. Now, Carrie, didn't you mention at N10 that your cause was actually started by a supporter? Yes, yeah. our top cause was created by a supporter. Right, and so how does that, how, how's that relationship working now? It was interesting because Susan at Causes, the, the nonprofit liaison, she kind of like bridged us with the girl that runs it, and this girl was so happy to hear from us. And, you know, I told her, I said, if you need anything, if you need documentation or, or you want me to um, help you provide you information, just let me know. And um, she was really responsive. So if others are in that situation, I really encourage them to reach out to the person that's running the cause and just be, you know, a lot of times they're just thrilled to hear from somebody from the organization. Um, and it's raised the most money. It has the most members for us. And it's a simple contribute to the Humane Society cause, but it's kind of been branded as our big cause. I kind of have a, a question. Do you get a lot of new causes? Because we seem to only get like a few a month, if that. And I feel like causes when it first started, it was kind of a frenzy. And now it's just more to upkeep is what it feels like a little bit. Yeah, I get that too. And that's why I've been pushing them for like automated responses and automated thank yous and things that we can customize. It says, you know, thank you from us and what you can do, visit our website, all this stuff. Because for us, that, that, that constant stream of so-and-so is donated or create a cause or whatever it may be, it, the volume when I for bigger Susan, nonprofit and get heavy. Yeah, when I talk to Susan, I'm like, you should you should create some kind of event thing we can use because a lot of like our members will, will have little habitat or gardening for wildlife events. Mm. And if they could donate to us by creating like an event page, it would be really great. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Nice. Um, just because it's kind of weird to have people go through causes if I can just link them off to nwf.org. I feel I feel weird about it, but if it's some way to engage them and give them freedom, that's what I want to do. But if I can link them to a direct page where then I feel like that would be ideal. David's actually ready to get called in here. Let me pull him in while there's a break. Hey guys, it's David now. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to the big show. Oh, Thanks. self-proclaimed cool kid. That's right. Here. <laughs> nice. The cool kid contingency is growing. So 
getting a Facebook application to take off is, is sort of huge. I wanted to get into applications a little bit now that we've talked about pages and, and groups and things. You know, getting one to take off is a big deal, but it's hard to do. Um, Carrie, I thought I'd start with you because um, you've done some really cool stuff at the Humane Society, specifically like the Spade A Pet Photo Contest. Some, mm-hmm. some of those stats are amazing. 23,000 apps installed, 40,000 entries, $600,000 raised, up from 72 yep. in 2008. Impressive. Tell us a little bit about how you got started. Like, how did you get buy-in and how did the design work and stuff like that? Okay, so um, over the past couple of months, we've started to see Facebook crawl up in our top referrers for the website. And so when we started specking out the State A contest, I said, you know, we really should have an accompanying Facebook application with this. And there were some people that were like, mm, you know, how much is that going to cost? Is it worth it? But most people were all about it because they've, you know, we've, you can see from, from how much we invest in Facebook and social media tools that, um, you know, we, we really see value in it. So for the people that were like, eh, I, you know, I started to give them statistics about, um, you know, Facebook and the referring and all of that. It kind of opened their eyes. So I specced out the, the application. I said the first thing, it has to be all contained inside of Facebook mm-hmm. um, because Facebook users don't want to go off Facebook. They want to stay on Facebook. That's where they are. That goes for ads, applications, everything. So I said everything, it has to be a mirror image of the website, but all contained inside of Facebook. Mm-hmm. And so that was the number one requirement. The number two was that when somebody engaged with the application, whether they created, I'm sorry, they installed the app, they created a profile for their pet, whatever action they engaged with, it had to post to their news feed. Um, and now we know that's that's more important than ever because we're all getting so much more um, engraved into the news feed and that's really how things take off. So that was another requirement. That's kind of oversimplified because it was a lot of back and forth, back <laughs> right. and forth. Like, no, it needs this. Why aren't we in the application directory? Why can't you find us in search? Why is this function not working? Why okay. is, you know, all this stuff? But it really paid off in the end. Unfortunately, we we were just moving over to Google Analytics at the time, so we weren't able to track exactly how much money was raised mm. on off of the Facebook application. It's something that we is a definite requirement from next year. But for a couple of different reasons, we can conclude that a good majority of the money was raised because Facebook was the number one referrer to the website, um, and that's just the website for for the state application, mm-hmm. um, and there was a 60% utilization rate with the app compared to the number of people who registered their pets. And, you know, it was it was great because it was integrated into Facebook. You had a, a button that you put on your profile that showed your pet. When you log in, you could see your friend's pets that were entered in the contest. It was just very social. So it was a pretty big success for us. Right. And now when you were designing it, and you said you um, sort of would tweak, it sounded like you were tweaking things after it was released. Is that the case? Yeah, yeah. it was. It was, um, you know, really keeping an eye on it and saying, oh, why doesn't it do this or it should do this? Right. So, what was the trigger when you decided, okay, this thing's ready to release into the wild? Like, um, I think when, well, it had to be in conjunction with the website when okay. the website was ready to launch because there were people that would find out, out about it on Twitter, but a lot of people found out about it through our email list. And so they would register, upload a photo of their pet, all of that 
on the website and then realized that there was an accompanying Facebook application. Um, and I think it was a reason it was more successful this year and such a jump from $72,000 to over 600000 this year was because there was no sharing capabilities last year. I mean, right. you couldn't even, there was not even a link to post to your Facebook profile or anything like that. So we really made it a lot more social this year. And as everybody knows, I mean, People love to share stuff about their pets. <laughs> I was getting ready to say that. Yeah, that's. I mean, that, that, that's you know, that's what we do as pet yeah. owners. So the sharing capabilities were what really made a difference this year. Great. How about Danielle, David? Have you seen um, sort of sharing be a success factor in what you guys have done on Facebook? Well, honestly, my work on Facebook has been very limited. Right. We tried an application around this actual this uh, piece of legislation, and that was not my doing at all. But. They wanted to check it out and it was a limited time campaign and I think in this circumstance it just didn't really work. And a lot of it is because, I mean, sharing is so important and probably the reason for the success that the Humane Society has had is because that's fun and it's sharing, you know. And I think like when we were talking about Endangered Species Act getting, you know, or weakening, it's not really fun and it's not really sharing. So, um, so I think that for Facebook and us, like we we haven't really cracked it because we just don't right. really know. Yeah, you know, because I get sent a request for lots of apps, and there's very few that I actually pull the trigger on. I really you know what I'm saying? Like most yeah. applications. So, so yeah, so there's something about that that you know that thing that pulls you in, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, but a picture's a dog. But, but yeah, if, <laughs> yeah. I, if I could, I would definitely enter my dog in. So right. <laughs> but so everybody needs to find their equivalent of the the pet photo. Yeah, I mean, it has to be something that's that's cool and exciting and relevant like th that's the reason why we haven't developed a Facebook application just for you know our organization like right. one all accompanying you know application because really like we needed to kind of find a niche and and um, and I think we found it with the the photo contest so that I mean that's why we don't do a Facebook application for every single campaign either. Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And Chad, I'll jump in uh, on ours since we just rebranded ourselves recently as the American Cancer Society, the official sponsor of birthdays. And so you can actually check ours out, uh, people listening to the cast, and, and I'll put it up on Twitter as well. But uh, if you just go to apps.facebook.com slash morebirthdays or morebirthdays.com, and basically, you know, just like Carrie said, people want to stay on Facebook. So ours just has you stay on Facebook. Really simple, really easy to use. Uh, it's actually probably the best looking app that, that we've had uh, in a long time done by our, our, our home office, which is in Atlanta, Georgia. And you can go on there and see, uh, basically, it's all about birthdays, uh, which makes sense since we just rebranded. And basically, it just kind of helps you keep track of your friends birthdays and what they're doing and, and things like that and although Facebook has that feature built in uh, it's definitely kind of hard to find and hidden on your Facebook page mm -hmm. uh, so this app kind of helps you put it front and center and just keep track of them and the the cool thing that we do around back birthdays is uh, you know we're not just having one button that's like you have to donate or wouldn't you like to donate um, we let people celebrate or do a birthday donation so if you just hit the celebrate button it automatically kind of sends notices to your friends saying you know happy birthday from so-and-so, um, have you checked out what the American Cancer Society is doing around birthdays and helping you, you know, beat cancer, kick its ass, mm -hmm. uh, celebrate more birthdays, which is, you know, what we do. And so you can go to our app and it just kind of helps you control and, and find your friend's birthdays and help them celebrate them. And then, you know, if you want to go that extra step, you can actually go in 
uh, and click on our birthday donation and make a donation to the American Cancer Society on behalf of your friends. So you know how we all are. You know, I don't need to get Chad, you know, another blender. He has like three in his house. I appreciate his that. <laughs> uh, so that I could actually just make a birthday donation uh, on his behalf to the American Cancer Society. It's really neat in that, too, unlike a lot of our other apps uh, and a lot of apps that you see out there that are kind of fragmented, it ties directly back into our overall campaign, uh, lets you create, you know, a page uh, around your birthday, lets you download our ACS birthday kit, which kind of has like new recipes for, you know, things to do instead of a birthday cake. Like here's some cool recipes for you guys to cook that are healthy and things like that. Uh, you can make a, a birthday donation or you can just celebrate people's birthday by sending them a little message. It's important that like when you have a Facebook application, there was a big donate part of our application, but you didn't have to donate to participate. And mm. I think that's important for nonprofits. Um, you could create your page for free but and donate if you like, but it wasn't a requirement in order to participate. There's that common thing too as well, like, uh, you know, uh, cancer is doing it about birthdays. You're doing it about pets. They found sort of one of those root common denominators that everybody has. Yeah. That's, that's again, that's something I think everybody should sort of look for, something that, you know, everybody can use. It's, it's sort of non-niche, right? <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. Exactly, just what you just said. Um, it's basically non-niche. I mean, it's yeah. around pets, it's around birthdays, and it's something that actually contributes uh, to something you normally do. You're normally going to post pictures of your pets anyway. You're normally going to go out and drop a little message about your friend's birthdays yeah, uh, on their Facebook page anyway. So definitely our app takes advantage of that. How many people have downloaded it? Yeah, uh, according, if you just go to our, I guess there's kind of a launch page on Facebook before you actually go to the app. And it says we had 6,000 active uh, members last, or people actively using the application last month. So those are kind of our stats. And then... Um, of my uh, lame friends on Facebook, only 28 have uh, used it. So <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure I call them out uh, in a public forum. And what do you do when a Facebook app dies? Because I've been having... <laughs> Great question. <laughs> that, I mean, that is a good question. Yeah. I mean, because you put all this work into it, and then you're like, all right, see ya. Yeah, because ours did. Ours, we have like, we went from like, I don't know, like 23,000 or something like that. We have like a thousand people that have it installed now, and the photos have been taken down because the website's kind of mm. down now. So yeah, think, so I would love I to know what you guys do. <laughs> I mean, I, I think you just take it down like you would anything else, though, uh, and and you know, or get all the data you possibly can out of it for future usage. I don't know. I'm like kind of afraid of doing or like putting a lot of time into something that is limited right now and it's only because I'm like jaded from right. all these different campaigns and the way I'm going about things it's like how can I change the way we engage with people on Facebook and right now we only have like 7,000 people so if that but it's, I'm trying to figure out a way to like engage them better so that if we do pack on the numbers because I mean one of the things we don't do right is like our membership department when I email them asking them to put in like Facebook or Twitter in our emails, they're like, um, we did it back in 2007 with our MySpace and it didn't work. And so, I mean, I love our membership department to death, but there's not a lot of crossing over. And so everything I do is like, I'm trying to relate this information to other people. <laughs> I just don't want to start something new, you know, that maybe people won't use. 
No, there's definitely a big, I think, uh, risk there to build something that no one uses, right? Especially if you're a small org and it's going to be a significant investment to get going with this. And the three of you are all with fairly decent sized organizations. So the kind of success you've had, is this something that small organizations can duplicate? Is it sort of out of reach for them because they can't afford to build an app? Um, I think that they can because yeah. um, the way we found this technology provider for uh, the photo contest was through, they did photo contests for smaller humane societies. And so we found them through that. And then we just kind of put some of the missing pieces in terms of the Facebook application together. We utilized our massive email list, but that was not where the majority of the participants came from. I don't think you have to have a big email list or anything. You probably can utilize volunteers. I mean, uh, honestly, you know, I, I think a lot of nonprofits just automatically think I'm going to have to pay, you know, five grand for a Facebook app and hire a programmer. Um, but, you know, put the call out. I mean, there's probably a lot of people who program that would be, you know, happy to help you out or at least maybe find somebody else who could donate pro bono and, and things like that. And I think uh, increasingly nonprofits should get more aggressive around requesting pro bono work as part of larger packages or requesting you know, all pro bono work and, and, but maybe you have a killer idea, but it takes five months to implement because, you know, you're getting the work for free. And, and I think a lot of us on the phone know <laughs> how challenging programmers can be to, uh, to, uh, work for, uh, if not get them to donate their time. But I mean, it's worth an option and, and you can't, it can't hurt to ask. That's how I got my Twitter background. <laughs> Yeah. And I, as a multimedia developer, I've done that work for several local organizations. I've done, you know, it's pro bono work and you know, it's advantageous on, on this side as well because then you can sort of write it off as a gift. I mean, it's a, you know, I'll be, uh, a gift I'll be hitting kind, you so. up, Chad, after the call for saying that. Feel free. I, I, always, I always offer my flash services. So those are always so expensive and in such high demand. So. <laughs> um, cool. Now, what about you brought up email lists, Carrie. Um, I kind of want to bring, bring up uh, sort of integration with uh, your constituent data and uh, sort of how that plays into this. I know it's sort of probably tough to get Facebook to talk to to your uh, your data. Do any of you have any kind of integration? No. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, integration in terms of like sharing member information or just like having sharing in our emails. Yeah, just both, just any in any way, getting ways getting getting them to talk, sharing logins, you know, using Facebook Connect, whatever it may be. Um Integration is such a such a hot issue, and uh, we yeah. plan on integra- implementing Facebook Connect to right. our website soon. That's very cool. Yeah, I've heard of a, a number of universities that are kind of in that that niche that are doing integrations with other systems, and uh, Steve might be talking a little bit about it later. But I know that that integration with the back end CRM through Facebook is is pretty important in the university space. No, that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, it's kind of the, obviously the same group that lot of, that's using Facebook and the guys at Free Cause up in um, Boston have been working with us to develop some integration because they've got an, an application that allows you to manage your presence on MySpace and Facebook and and those social media sites. But more importantly, data capture can be pulled into the back office CRM and. That's been sort of critical for a lot of the customers that we've been working with because I sign up for an e-newsletter list or I take a poll, I take a survey, I register for an event, or I even make the online gift. Eventually, you get that data integration problem of I would want to know who are these people Mm -hmm. and are they donors, are they volunteers, are they activists. People aren't asking those questions, but I think orgs that have been doing it for 
you know, six, eight, 12 months, very soon they're going to be asking me, well, how does this fit in with our overall fundraising or advocacy strategy? And who are these people specifically, not just in general? And so I think the work that they're doing is some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, Carrie. Now you mentioned that. So if if you had you know six hundred thousand dollars right that were raised um, through the Spay Day Pet Photo Contest, how, how did you get that mapped back into your donor database? Um, and you know to acknowledge those gifts, or did you? You know, is that part of your strategy? Yeah. The anything um, because the the Facebook application was just a mirror of the Spay Day website. Oh, right, which people, right. Yeah, it, yeah. It, the the data transferred back yeah. and forth. It was actually on a separate system than our um, content management system, but we manually, like, it was just kind of like an export process, I guess. Right, okay. Cool. Um, so if we're not talking about raising money then as, you know, sort of the key objective, it's an objective. I guess, you know, sort of engagement is one of the best things to do with your Facebook presence. Frank, with your blog post last week, you mentioned the one campaign and um, that you liked a few of their tactics. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I would love to actually talk to somebody from the one campaign too about their thing. So if anyone's listening, yeah. Um, um, but I, I just thought they they used um, Facebook some of the new features as far as when you go to their Facebook uh, page, Facebook.com/one, it takes you to a custom tab like we were talking about earlier. And on that page is it's pretty much just a compelling graphic with a call to action to sign up for their newsletter, which is kind of an interesting approach. Yet I think they did it. In a, in a pretty nice way because it's, you know, it's a, a nice graphic. It's very clean. It's very easy to understand what they're trying to get you to do. You know, it's nice because they're using Facebook and there's a lot of other engagement type things going on there, but they're trying to drive you back to their, their home base, if you will, and, um, you know, get you to be on their newsletter so they can provide you with valuable information, but I'm sure also trying to capture your information so they can build their, uh, you know, subscriber list and things like that. So, uh, it's a, just a pretty creative use, and I'm not sure how many people are actually using the custom tab approach and kind of a call to action right there in Facebook to take you out. Kind of counter to what Danielle and Carrie were referencing about people wanting to stay within Facebook, which is probably true. So I'm I'm kind of curious, and it would be cool to hear from them to see how much success they're actually having with you know email newsletter signups from within Facebook. I like that idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's sort of the stay in the ecosphere versus create an outpost for your website, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think they, you know, they both kind of make sense. I guess it just depends on what your goal is. I think yeah, where, they, where you're doing something more social, it makes more sense to stay in. But if, it, right. if you're trying to get them to your website or to engage with you, maybe it makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. If your goal is to increase uh, email subscriptions or newsletter subscriptions or other activity that can only happen on your website. And they seem, if you go to their main wall, it seems like, you know, they have, some crazy 85,000 fans or something like that, but it seems like it's mostly one way, like the one campaign posting things there. So it doesn't seem, you know, at first glance that they're trying to use this to do a lot of engagement type activity. So maybe that's their strategy. Interesting. Yeah, I'm having trouble with the fan page because when I ask people to like post links, it goes in like a little link box underneath like our number of fans and it's really frustrating it doesn't look like it doesn't show up on our wall as much I get annoyed because <laughs> I, I want people to feel like they can come to our fan page and just you know share whatever they want kind of thing and it it comes off differently yeah we need a Facebook developer on the phone right now we really do <laughs> you know we're talking about raising money talking about engagement let's just get to that holy grail you know sort of metrics 
who's doing what and when. There were some big improvements on pages specifically recently with the, uh, inter you can measure interactions, total interactions via the Insight portal. Let's talk a little bit about that. So, I mean, if things aren't measured, they're not managed. That's a big mantra around here. I'm sure it is everywhere. So, um, like, who's loving these metrics? I mean, uh, they're really nice. Yeah. The post it's, quality it's, score, that's sweet. What was that? The post quality score. Oh, yeah. Can you explain that a little bit? It's just an easy way to kind of see a, a simple score on your uh, various wall posts. So it kind of gives a seven, I think it's a seven-day kind of aggregate number. Okay. And you just look for kind of the high numbers within your wall posts, and it kind of gives you a, a quick indication of, how well certain wall posts are doing so that you can kind of make decisions based on that. You know, maybe it's showing different content or certain types of content get more likes or comments or things like that. Right. What do you think makes for a bad wall post? Well, Good question. <laughs> I would never do it again. Too many times, 20 times a day. Frequency is probably an issue. I like to ask our fans fun questions like what's their favorite outdoor memory as a child and stuff. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. People love it. What's your favorite pet story about their birthday? Yeah. Right. <laughs> hey, pet birthday. Don't be giving him ideas. <laughs> yeah, the pet birthday app. That's it. That's, that's speaking of holy grails. <laughs> Pets get cancer, Carrie, so just back off a little bit, okay? Oh, okay. <laughs> So, so why is it important that page admins pay attention to this metric, this total interaction metric? I think, you know, that you can just be able to go and see an unsubscribes, like you just said, what makes a bad post. Mm, yeah. You know, so being able to go in and, I mean, I, I just launched a TV show. And so, like, you know, we have a fan page for the TV show. I would say the other thing, you know, props to Facebook is they make it so easy now to do fan pages. You can be on a fan page, scroll down and look to the left. And there's like a little button that says start a fan page about your own, you know, <laughs> right. whatever you want it to be. So, I mean, not that we'll see a million fan pages, probably will, but I mean, you know, as they, as they, die, off, as they die off, they die off. But I, I think the great metrics are you can see, you know, how many people unsubscribe, how many people are liking what you're posting, things like that. So I think it's great. Yeah. No, it's really good to look at the negative stuff too. Like I, I like when YouTube, they added the... Uh, It'll show you when users stopped watching your video. Right. Um, yeah, that's that's powerful stuff. You don't always want to look, you know, because <laughs> it's not, not good stuff. They missed the good part. They missed the good part. Yeah. I think it's interesting because our lack of wall posts kind of lets me know that um, that they're not actually coming into our fan page. They're probably just commenting on their home feed stream. Oh, that's a good point. Hmm. You know. But anyway, I mean, like, it's really interesting to me because I think 84% of the people who use are, or who are our fans um, and who are active are female. Okay. So it's like, hmm, how can we I make this more? Thing. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. I was going to ask about demographics and how that played into your strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I read this really great article um, about gender online and what they, what each gender likes to do and of course it's essentializing gender but it was really interesting to read okay so the females like to comment and post so if you're going for comments and if that's what you're kind of measuring then maybe you're you are skewing more for female whereas the males like to you know do take action kind of things i don't know it's interesting look at football stats well i mean have you guys seen they were talking about this on twit last week uh adela it's a like sort of a um a Dell sort of demographic specific uh, shopping page for women 
on their website. Um, and they got a huge response from it. They, they, you know, it's got a much higher conversion rate and uh, it's just a different, it's the same products, just in a different interface. You can Google Della and you'll find it. Uh, it's kind of a long clunky URL. Keep in mind a lot of NWF's members aren't on Facebook yet, but they're getting on Facebook. Yeah. The you, largest mm-hmm. growing demographic. It's also the, the largest unsubscribing never come back demographic. I just read that yesterday <laughs> too. That over the, I believe it. The 55 That's to 65 Twitter. year old group, they're joining faster, but they're also never coming back more than anyone. Um, yeah. Well, yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They might come back every three months. <laughs> Maybe that's what, why this dinosaur. They'll come back. I don't know. My, my mom's pretty Facebook obsessed. She plays all the games. It's amazing. <laughs> She's like playing script, but my mom's also on Twitter. And I think my kids are going to join Facebook before my parents. So <laughs> My grandfathers both have joined now. Oh my, nice. Yeah, which is kind of bad because they don't necessarily care about wildlife as much as I do. <laughs> so. They're just into the technology and social media. It's something in the genes, I guess. Yeah, so you've got the graying of Facebook, but then there was something that just came out of... Um, Harvard or somewhere, about 18 to 26-year-olds don't use Twitter, which isn't a real shock. So I guess that's Twitter's SMS for old people, right? Yeah. If I'm 18 oh. to 26, it's all SMS. So. Yeah, I'm 24. Well, and, you know, we've all presented on Twitter, and we all, we, you know, we like to tell everybody how great it is for professional development and connections and right. stuff like that. If you're that age, you don't care about that stuff. You know? Yeah, and it's part of our I think, job. Yeah. I think the other thing is for that age group, it's privacy is a bigger issue, not privacy, and I don't want people knowing what I'm doing, but I don't want my parents or whoever else to know what I'm up to either. So the last thing you would do in that sort of group is being very outwardly public about a bunch of stuff when I could use SMS to just tell one person or something like that. It's a rip-roaring discussion. I apologize. I have to jump off. That's okay. Anything Anything you'd like to plug before you take off? Twitter.com slash Humane Society. There you go. Well, just before you leave, you can, uh, thanks for joining us, and you can uh, follow uh, Carrie at Twitter.com slash Carrie Girls. What? How do you? Girls? G-R-I-E-G-R-L-S, one R. Yes. And then also go see her at HSUS.org. See all her fine work. So thanks for being on the call today. Hopefully you'll come back. Thank you guys very much. Yep. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Well, I think we were pretty much, uh, you know, wrapping it up there anyway. Is there any geek stuff we need to talk about today? Um, Bing, Wave, Wolfram Alpha, anybody? Wave looks crazy. Yeah. What do you What, what are you What are you gonna like about Wave? It's yeah. Google. It must be good. Yes. Right? <laughs> Screenshots look cool. Did you guys watch the hour long video? I did not. Yeah. That's what we yet. should all do okay. the second we get off of this. And then <laughs> the next episode will all be about Wave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I tried playing Wolf Wolfram Alpha. Have you messed around with that at all? I thought, oh, it's the semantic web. It's not. It's not? No. I mean, it's cool, and I see where they're going with it. Um, I didn't have any interesting questions to ask other than yeah. uh, I, how you many know, days have I been on planet Earth or something like that. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> it's not, yeah. It's not quite. It didn't feel like it was creating data. It was just comparing data or gathering data. You know what I'm saying? Like it couldn't, yeah. it couldn't really tell me anything I couldn't find on two separate web pages. And then just combine it in my head. It's a great idea. It's very ambitious. Yeah, I think we're kind of in that phase now that Google is what Google is. You know, Microsoft's trying it with Bing and then Wolfram Alpha. Everyone's trying to figure out, so what's this next Mm -hmm. new, new thing? 
and I wouldn't be surprised if we see a whole bunch of stuff pop up and like all things. Yeah. 90% of it will be crap and fail, and then you look for that magical 10% that's really cool and people want to use. Sure. So. Well, what about Bing? You, does it have legs? You, you, were, you, were, uh, you gave it a positive review this morning when we talked. I, w- I was playing around with it. I was just sort of like watching how they use the news feed. I did think it was interesting that the news feed also localizes news Mm. at the same time without me having to tell it to do that which i thought was was kind of cool but um and just i'm i always look at things from a design sort of usability standpoint so i I liked how they embed the video and i could just mouse over the video on the page and get that little mini video clip to play so it's the user experience is sort of different i'm not throwing google or anything out the window is the place i go to search for stuff yet but Mm -hmm. Were there uh, ads on Bing? I can't remember. I only pulled it up a couple times. Uh, there are on the search. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Because it definitely didn't seem as cluttered as Google, which is funny because that's Google's thing. The results seem nice and clean. Have you guys checked out feed stats at all? Ooh. It's for your friend feed. Oh, no. It's kind of cool. It's data on your uh, on your friend feed. It's okay. cool. I mean, I guess just because I've been growing more and more obsessed with friend feeds since I'm sure everyone's noticed, like, the, the climb in people. Yeah. yeah. I've having. even been going back a little bit more. I haven't really been yeah. crazy about it. I mean, I love it, but I just haven't been going there as much. Well, th- there's no need to because everything yeah. gets updated. But, yeah, I've been starting to try and use that and see, like, what stats are, and I've been actually going back, and it's been pretty nice. I think it's overwhelming amounts of information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, whereas Twitter, you just go on and... Right. You're done. Well, plus it seems more clubby on FriendFeed because, you know, everybody has to be there um, versus other aggregator type things where you can pull in anybody that's, you know, got a public feed, whether or not yeah. they're using the service. We're definitely in sort of this data glut. I mean, it's it's getting worse. I guess it's always been that way. It's just technology accelerates and brings to sort of right in front of our face just how much data there is out there about stuff, which is why filtering and search are so important. I actually don't want to know about everything going on in the world because my head would explode but i do want to know about really relevant meaningful things to me so that's the key Mm -hmm. nobody's got any geek stuff to talk about let's uh give some shout outs and close this puppy up (laughs) why don't we start with you steve uh one thing i want to plug is uh, uh just in the in the past week or so um, we released a solution called Nonprofit Central, which is geared towards the community foundation market. And our first customer using it, which is uh, Community Foundations of Texas, raised over $4 million online in a single day Whoa. using it, Dang. which broke a bunch of records. So yes. really interesting space. You know, community foundations, there's a tremendous, given the economy and other things that are happening, there's a lot of reliance on community foundations to help make grants and do giving um, to other um, nonprofits and charities. So um, they did a lot of work on this effort, a lot of promotion, and um, we we're sort of watching the statistics behind the scenes, but you know, raised over $4 million online in a single day. So that's really powerful because of you know, what, it, what it allows the community foundations to do in their local area to get impact, especially when so many more organizations are seeking grants and, and trying to do those things. Very cool. Impressive. All right, uh, Steve, thanks for joining us today. Uh, you can follow Steve on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash smclaughlin. And you can also check up on Steve at blackbot.com slash connections, where he is a blogging fiend. Danielle, what you got for us? We do still have the Great American Backyard Campout happening June 27th. Oh, yeah. And we're really building up for that. And I mean, right now, you know, 
because of this conversation, everyone should go and join our fan page ah, and nice. make and help me make it better. Nice. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Sounds That's good. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Danielle. Uh, you can check out Danielle at nwf.org and follow her at twitter.com slash star focus. All right, David Neff. I would just say uh, this month, skipcancer.org uh, and, and go check out morebirthdays.com and Great. check up on our new kind of, branding and profile information and things like that, especially for those marketers uh, out there listening to this, you kind of see how we're uh, changing ourselves from a web 1.0 uh, to web 3.0. We're just skipping the 2.0 yes. <laughs> uh, and, and saying, you know, we're already kind of late to the game, so let's just skip that and and, and go forward. So check out morebirthdays.com. Uh, and then on a personal note, uh, all the nonprofits out there uh, who are listening, uh, me, uh, myself, along with two other people, are starting Lights, Camera, Help, uh, which is the nonprofit film festival, the first one uh, ever in the world. And we would love your entries and submissions. Uh, so if you're a nonprofit, whether you're the Humane Society or the National Wildlife Foundation uh, or anyone, uh, you know, big or small, we'd love to have your uh, documentaries, narratives. Uh, web video, and public service announcements. And there is no fee to enter a film. Nice. Uh, we'll basically be having that. Uh, you can learn more uh, at lightscamerahelp.com. Uh, so that's lightscamerahelp.com. And we encourage all those nonprofits out there listening to get their videos in. Uh, and help us uh, create the world's first nonprofit film festival. Nice. Yeah, I'm really psyched for this, David, and I uh, can't wait to see the results. I definitely am going to have you back on. We're going to do an all, you know, sort of video episode, and I think this should be a big part of that. Um, like you said, it's the first, yeah. of, first of its kind. I think it's bringing a lot of awareness to a, you know, a sector and an activity in a sector that's really uh, changing a lot of lives, and I think it's going to be really cool. Yeah, definitely. And I, I would just add too that we're actually going to go ahead and create our own nonprofit. Uh, for the film festival and make it its own nonprofit. So uh, maybe I could come back on in a future episode and talk about all the lawyers that I'm talking to right now. <laughs> Fun and all, yeah, because you know everybody who uh, everybody on these calls is like, oh, we just joined a nonprofit, so it's crazy to be on the other side of, of starting one and getting a budget and incorporating and all that. Right. So, yeah. yeah, I'm doing the same thing right now. I'm a little earlier in the process, but I'd love to talk to you about uh, bylaws. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're doing our bylaws okay. right now and. And we're trying to work on a documentary of us actually becoming a nonprofit, which nice. would be pretty funny nice. at all of our mistakes that we're going to make. Right, so, right. Uh, <laughs> hopefully it would be entertaining. <laughs> good, good, good. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show again. Um, please uh, check out David at uh, cancer.org or morebirthdays.com. And you can follow him at Twitter at twitter.com slash Dave I am. And uh, Frank, last but not least, out in San Diego. Um, got anything to plug, Frank? Man, I have I have no plug as good as the ones that have already been thrown out there. Now so uh, it's good to be there today. <laughs> San nice. Diego's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> San Diego. All right. Uh, well, definitely, uh, I think we can plug uh, Netwit's Think Tank, right? Which is a great uh, blog that's uh, you know sort of aggregating a lot of uh, internet-related content from the BlackBod ecosphere. So definitely check out uh, Frank at netwitsthinktank.com. And you can follow Frank at uh, twitter.com slash Francois. That's F-R-A-N-S-W-A-A. -A. Um, great username. I always love that one. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, that does it for this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank our guests, Steve McLaughlin, Danielle Brigida, David Neff, Carrie Lewis, and Frank Berry. You can keep up with the podcast and other webby things by following me on Twitter at twitter.com slash chadnorman or by checking out my blog at blackbod.com slash webby things. 
you have any feedback, uh, please send us an email at thebodcast at blackbod.com. Until next time, I'm Chad Norman, and thanks for listening to The Bodcast. I'm getting rid of CompuServe, man. The product needs rocks. <laughs> <laughs> going, going mind spring all the way. Oh, wow. Mind I need to log off man. my AIM right now. Hold on. I know. Hold on. I got to update my GeoCities pages. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> some poor history students with this stuff. We forget all the crap that we used to deal with. It. Steve, I heard you shaved your beard. Allegedly, yeah. Wow, that that news travels fast. <laughs> Whoa, I, I didn't well, hear that. What's going on? I, we're with Michael Sola now, so we get to talk about you guys constantly. Uh, That's right. I love Michael. Yeah, Michael's great. Are you taking what? the train? Or? I will not be taking the train, which is scary because thanks to all the plane stuff going on in Air France, I'm now even more terrified. Oh, no. You won't Whatever. feel a thing. You won't, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a greater likelihood of being struck by lightning or something it's other. Just like lost. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I think of every time I like hear about them. I'm like, oh, it's lost. Totally. You, you love polar bears. You'll be fine. <laughs> Did so, I tell you uh, I almost went to the White House? As Ranger Rick, like they were trying to get me to go and do the Easter egg roll, and I was like, no, you don't understand. Wow. I can never dress up like this thing again. Form City Ranger Rick, I see that hashtag coming on the Twitter really soon. Cool.